You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27, um, I'm going to read it. As I read this passage of Scripture, please uh, use your, that imagination that you once had when you were a very young child and people would read to you storybook, um, uh, storybook books, I guess, and, uh, and your imagination would just go crazy. This last week, the, the, this, that movie, uh, the superhero movie came out, and my nephew is so into um, the Avengers, and he's like, his imagination about it, and like, he thinks he's him, and I just remember when I was a kid, just when I, you know, dressed up as super, superhero like a couple years ago, um, and uh, just your imagination and how wild it goes, and somehow something happens to us when we get older, and we just forget that imagination, and I read the Bible, I read it with that, so, I try to read it with that sort of imagination, I try to read it with that sort of um, humor, and the, the tension, and the drama, and when we come to passages like Genesis, we just kind of read it. If you've read through the Bible, you just read it, but you forget that these were real people, and this really happened, and Jacob is really a deceiver, and he dresses up in a goat costume, you know, to deceive his blind dad. I mean, it's crazy. So, um, so just please, just imagine for a second. Let me read it to you, and I, I can't really read dramatically, but I tried first service, and it was just dumb. So, I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me that, so that my, and I, and I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went um, to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I, commanded, I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats. Um, so that I may prepare them as delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it before you, uh, be- to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. <laughs> Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to him mocking him, and he'll bring a curse upon myself, not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of uh, Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her youngest son. And the skins of a young goat she put on his hands, and all the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So we went into his, into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you? My son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. 
But Isaac said to his, to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether or not you really are Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is, a, is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let my people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your brother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father rise and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then? that hunted game and brought it to me, and I, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly, exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? It's our text. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and your promise. I thank you, Jesus, that, that no matter where we're at right now, as we've come into this church, this gathering, this service, no matter where we're at, your word and your Holy Spirit is sufficient to speak to us, to teach us. I know that there are many independent people in this room. I think the city is made up of people who are so independent. And, and sometimes, God, that just works out so well, not only for the city but for our, our world, but sometimes, God, it wreaks havoc on our spirituality. It wreaks havoc on our relationships. It wreaks havoc on our work. I think sometimes, Lord, we all need a lesson in just letting go. We need a lesson in giving up. We need lessons in surrender. And so I pray this would be a good counterbalance to sometimes the control that we all crave and that we all want. And so I'm asking God that you would help me, that you would use this time, this teaching to speak to our hearts. I can speak to ears, only you can speak and change hearts. And I believe that, God. Would you do that now in our time together in your name? Amen. So we've been in the book of Genesis now for a while, for several months since last September, and I believe Genesis is a, a, such an important book to grasp and understand if you want to understand the rest of the entire Bible. And this is why after we came out of the book of Mark, we went into Genesis, the next book that we would study. If you truly want to understand God and the nature and the character of God, I believe you start here, and it's a good place to start here in Genesis. It's all here, 
The beginning of humanity is here, the beginning of nature, the beginning of faith, the beginning of corruption, the beginning of what went wrong with the world, and the beginning of family drama. If you are from a family who is just, that just has crazy family drama, you can find yourself in this story. I think we can relate more to Jacob than probably any other character in the Bible. I mean, if we're honest, maybe not a lot of us can really relate to Abraham. No, though we went through and we learned a lot from his life. I mean, let's be honest. Can you really say, yes, I'm, I learned a lot from Abraham. I'm like Abraham. When God called me, I knew nothing of God. I knew nothing about God. He just called me, and I went, and I sacrificed all of these things for God. Like, there's, there, maybe there's a couple of testimonies out there like that, but not a lot. A lot of us can't even relate to Isaac so much. Like, would you allow your dad to pin you down and tie you down on an altar and, like, grab a knife? You're like, Dad, what's that knife for? Why are you, why are you about to cut my throat? I don't know. Let's trust God. Like, not many people would do that. You, you, would, you would fight your own dad. I mean, you could take him. He was, like, so old, like, 100 and something years old. Isaac was young, and he could have just beat up his dad. But he's, like, surrendered. He's like, God, Dad, um, we're walking up this mountain, and we're going to sacrifice, and you have wood. I'm holding the wood, and you have a knife. Where's the sacrifice? He's like, We'll worry about that when we get up there. Just lay down on this altar right here. And just let me tie your, like, Dad, okay. Nobody does that. That sort of faith. But when we get to Jacob, Jacob is a liar, a cheater, a deceiver. He goes through his life just wrestling for the, fighting. Ever, in the, ever, ever since the womb, fighting, wanting the things of God, wanting the blessing, but like forgetting God. He hasn't even encountered God yet. He just wants the things of God. And God somehow, through it all, pours his grace out in his life. I think if most of us were to chart our life, we're, and I know it's, I'm not trying to say, hey, everyone in this, this church, we all suck, and, but I'm, I'm just being completely honest. If I sat down with you, I'm like, talk to me about God in your life, most of us would go, the grace of God. The grace of God. When I sit down with, my wife and I sit down with couples that are in the church or whatever, and they ask about, so tell us about your guys' life and how you met in relationship. And Ash will always start, well, we started dating when I was 14, and it's like downhill from there. <laughs> like how in the world, and, and, my, and my wife just loves saying, we have no idea how we're like still together. It's the grace of God. So you look at the life of Jacob, which we all find ourselves there, I think, just wanting and wrestling and doing, wanting the things of God. And somehow, I, and I'm not, the Bible doesn't condone it, but somehow, despite the sin and the agony and all the stuff that he wants. God works in his life, finally wrestling him down. Later on, we haven't got there yet, and giving him a wonderful encounter of himself. But this is, this sort of wrestling with God, this sort of looking, looking to God for God and enjoying him and making him the center is so difficult. Even in our text today, it proves that collective humanity has a struggle in, with keeping God in the center, keeping God as the treasure, keeping God as the hope. Sometimes, and I know, I know, I know it sounds good, but sometimes we, we, we seek God for the stuff. God, I really need a good job. God, I really need a good relationship. God, I really need a good marriage. And that's, that's the, the, re, the thing that draws, and sometimes we have, and guys, we have this proclivity to, and it says this on the screen, we have this proclivity to shove God to, to the periphery and attempt to gain control. We have this tendency to, to push God out of the side and going, I want this thing here in the center. 
And it's not God that's there. It's this thing that you want. For Jacob, it was the things of God, the blessings of God, the blessing, the birthright, the covenant. He wanted all that, but he didn't want God. He didn't want God at all. He was like, I want the blessing of God. I want the birthright that comes with the blessing of God. I want the blessing from my father. I want all these things. Do you want God? And right now in Jacob's story, he does not want God. He wants the things of God, and he doesn't want God. Guys, a lot of us start here. A lot of us start here. And you know, it's, it, to say it's okay to start here, it's, it's true. This is where a lot of us start. A lot of us start our journey with God by just asking God to do things. God, we pray for our, our parents. We pray for this. We pray for, our, our, we pray for these things, and we see God move, and it, it gets us to a place where we know God. But some of us get stuck here. And this is where, this is what I want to talk, this is who I want to talk to today. Some of us get stuck in this place where we go to God for stuff. Some of us get stuck in this place where we're, we have to be in control. When I say that word control, you know. You know who you, know who you are. Pretty much all, like ni- maybe 99% of us. It sounds silly to say this, but most of us live like this. We try to control God. That sounds silly to say. It sounds blasphemous because it is. That's true. We try to control God. We do it every day. Let me give you a small example of how we do this. Silly example, but it's still an example. We don't tell God what we want when we want something really bad. We don't tell God because we think that when we tell him we want something, he won't give it to us because he wants to teach us patience or something. Right? Like, I want this thing. I'm not going to tell God, though. Like, have you, ever, have you prayed through that? No, I don't really want to tell God. Because if I tell God, he'll know I want it. And then if he knows I want it, he, he won't give it to me because I want this thing, you know. And, and then he'll teach me patience, so I'm going to trick him. And then when he gives it to me, I'm like, oh, I didn't know I wanted this. <laughs> you know what you're doing? You know, we all do this in, in some degree. We're like, we're trying to Jedi mind trick God. We're like, God, I don't want that. But I do want that. But I don't want that. That's what we're doing. Like, we're trying to trick God. We're trying to control God. That's why I believe the story of Jacob is so relatable to us. We can find ourselves in this story because everyone is grasping. Everyone in the story that we just read, everyone is grasping for controlling God. Everyone is. They all want this blessing. They all want th- this future. They all, and they're all fighting for control over it. This looks like, uh, th- this story can read like your family. This story can read like your company. This story can read like your roommates. Everyone fighting for control. Throwing in God language. Have you done this? You fight for control and you throw God in there as a land? Like, well, God bless this and God do this. And you throw God around. Everyone was even throwing the name of God around, but God was gone. Even Jacob going, how? Isaac going, how did you find the, that, that, that game so fast? Um, the Lord, your God, put it in my path. Throwing around the name of God. This is how we'll, we'll, we'll go through our text over these, these three sort of headings. The need for control. Why this need for control in this, in this text? The approach to control, how everyone tried to gain control. And then finally, hopefully, this last point, the surrender of control. Hopefully we can get there. First, the need for control. Why this need for control? What were they trying to get control of? Isaac, the father of Esau and Jacob, he's getting old He's gone blind. He's so old, he's gone blind, and he seems to be bedridden at this point. So he's old, blind, bedridden. Now, we find out later that he bounces back and lives another 45 plus years, but whatever, okay? 
but you know how when you're really sick, you're like, I'm, I'm going I'm to die. Like, I don't know if you're like that sort of manic. When you get a cold or a flu, you're like, it's something terminal, I think. And I'm, I need to like set my will. Like, I want to tell you that I love you and um, I might not see you. Like, that sort of thing. So Isaac's like that. He's like, he's in bed, just hurting or whatever, blind, really wants a good meal. He's like, son, come here. I, I'm going to die. I'm really going to live 45 years, but whatever. I'm going to die right now. And he goes, he doesn't know his future. He goes, I, I feel like I'm going to die. I don't know what the future holds. And I want to get my house in order. So he calls his oldest son in, Esau, his favorite son, this red, hairy man. And he secretly, secretly is a very important part of the story that you have to understand. He secretly calls in Esau. And he says, son, I don't know how much longer I have to live. Go hunt me some good game and prepare it. Go catch me a deer or something and prepare it. And prepare it such as I love. There's so much sentimentality wrapped up in this. Like he hunted with his son. He taught him how to hunt. He's so skillful with the bow and all this stuff or with, with these instruments of, uh, of hunting. He's like, son, you know how I love when, when you and I would hunt. Go catch me something I love and then cook it. You know why I like it. We do that like dried rub thing and you like grill it and there's that rosemary. You know how I like it. Give me that, go cut me what I like, cook it the way I like, and bring it to me. And then he, he loves it so much, he even uses this word, that my soul may bless you. I, I love you so much, and I love your, the, the, your, your cooking and your game so much. My soul is going to bless you. Go, son. Go get it. Bring it back to me. I'm going to bless you before I die. The thing that everyone was fighting for in this narrative was this blessing that Isaac was giving away. Everybody wants this blessing. What's so special about this blessing? If you're reading the story, it all hinges on this blessing. And this, in this family, there are three things that everyone keeps wrestling for and tries to get control of. Three things, covenant, birthright, and blessing. Everyone's wrestling for control over the covenant, the birthright, and the blessing. So as you follow the story of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau and Jacob, everyone has been fighting ever since we, we started this portion of it. Everyone's been fighting for these three things. Now, let me explain them briefly. Covenant. The covenant, what they were fighting for, was the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you remember when God spoke to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, and it will be for kind of all people. I'm going to, through you and your seed, I'm going to bless the entire world. Remember he said that? So now this promise goes from Abraham, and it goes all the way down, and it eventually, we know, because we have the New Testament now, eventually leads in Jesus Christ, who both um, Matthew and Luke trace all the way back here. They have to bring it all back here, because it goes, the line goes this way. It it goes from Abraham all the way to a messianic figure. So it goes from Abraham to Isaac to question mark right now. Out of that line would come the Messiah. Now, the covenant, this part here, the covenant, was taken care of with an oracle that God gave Rebecca when she inquired why her twin boys were treating her womb like a dojo. How they were fighting and they were wrestling in her womb. Remember that last week? They were fighting, wrestling, and punt, like just re- and, and, and Rebecca was crying out to God, God, why in the world are my sons, like, can't they just get along and they're in my belly and they're fighting or whatever? And God gives her an oracle, gives her a prophecy saying, there's two nations, not two kids, two nations in your womb that are fighting. And they will be divided. And there will be one that's stronger. And then here's the prophecy. The older shall serve the younger. So that was already predetermined by God. God already decided that was going to happen. 
That's what's going to happen. They knew it. Isaac knew this. Rebecca knew this. But Isaac wanted something else. He wanted it another way. He didn't want the blessing. He didn't want this covenant to go to Jacob. He wanted this covenant to go to Esau, his oldest boy. He loved Esau. He loved that Esau was, and if you, if you grew up with siblings, and I don't know if you have this sense of sibling rivalry, I don't know if you have this sense of favoritism, but that's what was going on here. Isaac loved his oldest boy Esau. He loved that he was a man's man. He loved that they went hunting together, that he knew how to work and use hunting tools, that he knew his way around a barbecue, that he was really good at building a campfire. They had more in common. They had more to talk about. They would sit on rocks and look at the stars and talk to one another. They would go on long journeys of hunting together. Isaac loved Esau. He loved that he was burly and he was a man's man. He was hairy and he, and he, and he loved his smell. He smelled like the, 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 the dew of the morning. He smelled like being outside in the wilderness. He smelled like that and he loved everything about Esau. Jacob. Jacob was more domestic. He was soft. He was more tender. Smooth is the language the Bible uses. He was smooth to touch. Esau was hairy. I mean, he was hairy, very hairy. And Jacob was smooth. Actually, the, well, probably the saddest part of this is in Genesis 25 where it says, when the boys grew up, Esau was skillful, a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Do you see how sensual, not in a sexual way, but how, in a sense way, how sensual both Isaac and Esau are? God is mentioned only five times in this story. Game is mentioned eight. Food is mentioned, okay, deer, like meat is mentioned eight, and tasty food is mentioned six. The irony and the poetry is that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup and Isaac gave away a blessing for a steak. That's the poetry. That's the irony. The birthright, what everyone was wrestling for, this is what we talked about last week. The birthright was the oldest son's share of the material estate of the family, so that naturally went to Esau. But Esau despised it by selling it to Jacob for a bowl of soup, what we talked about last week. But this blessing, the blessing... Why did everybody want this blessing? The blessings were the pronouncements expected to impact the destiny of the child. Blessing were something, they were words of affirmation, words of hope, words that represented their wishes, their desires of a father for his child. So a, a father, when he was about to pass on, he would grab all his children and bless them verbally. He would grab them by the cheeks and look them into the eye and bless them. He'd pull his kids, da- kids out and go down the line and bless them. Jacob does this at the end of Genesis. In Genesis 49, he grabs all his children and he blesses every single one of them. This is what a dad would do. He would grab his child. He'd look him in the eye and goes, this is what I see in you. And this is how much I love you. And may God bless you. This is what a dad did. And it was glorious, and it was public, and it was a celebration. But that's not what happened here. This was private. Nobody was invited. Rebecca was not invited, and saddest of all, Jacob was not invited. 
only Esau. He grabbed Esau and he goes, son, I want to bless you. Esau probably should have said, where's my brother? Where's my mom? He didn't. Listen, Esau, I need you to go get me some game. I'm just gonna, we're going to have a meal and I'm going to bless you. And you know what this says? I mean, this skips ahead a bit, but you know what this says? That all the hope and all the dreams and all the desire that Isaac had for his sons, he only had for Esau. If you were to ask Jake, uh, Isaac, Isaac, what hopes do you have for your son Jacob? He would have said, nothing. I have no hope for him. Where's all his hope? And Esau. Even though he knew that God wanted to pass along the covenant to Jacob, he had nothing for Jacob. That's why in the end, when Esau comes in, and both Isaac and Esau, the real Esau, not the fake Esau, not the goat dressed up as Esau, but the real Esau comes in, and they both realize, oh my gosh, Jacob, that deceiver, stole the blessing. And then Esau weeps bitterly, and he starts crying, and he says this to his dad, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, who should the me be at that point? would be Jacob, right? Have you not reserved a blessing for the other son? Have you not saved anything? And what's the answer? Nothing. I gave everything to, I thought it was, Esau, I thought it was you. I gave everything to him. I had nothing good to say about you, thinking you were Jacob. That's why the blessing looked like an anti-blessing. When he finally did, if you read along, when he finally did bless him, he actually used this word away from, not may you have the fatness of the earth, may you drink of heaven's dew. It was away from the fatness of the earth, away from the dew of heaven, away from. It was a malediction, not a benediction. And it's clear that Isaac wants to give all his approval and all his love to Esau. And it's clear that Jacob has always wanted it. So everyone in this story has this need to control the will of God. Rebecca wants to control the will of God. Jacob wants to control the will of God. Isaac wants to control the will of God. And Esau wants to control the will of God, which is something I think we all wrestle with. Sometimes we use prayer even, and this might sound strange to you, but I want you to follow along with me. Sometimes we use prayer as a way of trying to get God to do what we want. You and I are such control freaks. A lot of us see prayer, and I'm guilty of this as well. A lot of us see prayer as a functional word. We see prayer as to achieve a desired effect, which actually puts us right back in control, correct? If we go to prayer to receive a desired effect, it's putting us in control. As soon as you make something like prayer solely a way to get something, you are basically saying, how can I get God to do what I want him to do? I know, I'll talk to him about it. Making prayer our controlling self, deciding what it needs and what it wants, and then going to a higher power to get it. For some of us in here, that's the extent of prayer for us. As soon as we make prayer about manipulating God, it's about you and you remaining in control. As soon as we make compliments that we give to people a way of getting something in return, as soon as we make dressing in a certain way a means to get something, it's about you being in control. All of us have this deep need for being in control. 
But how did they try to get control? What was the approach to control that they took? In case you didn't understand this or know this, nobody in this narrative is innocent. Everyone is guilty of horrible betrayal. Rebecca overhears Reed eavesdrops Isaac telling Esau to go hunt game and prepare it so he can bless him. She thinks fast and calls in Jacob and lays out a plan to deceive her blind husband. She wants to deceive her blind husband. How is she going to do this? Well, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, lays out a plan to steal the blessing. And he starts, Jacob's like, Mama, no, no, we can't do that. And, and he's not afraid of doing this plan because it's wrong. He's not, Mom, we can't lie to Dad because that's lying. He's like, we can't lie to Dad because we're going to get caught. It's not about integrity. It's just about, like, I don't, want it, I don't want it to be a reverse curse. What if he finds out and he curses me and I want blessing? And the rest of the story is told, the narrator tells this with the tension of a great movie. Even when, like, as soon as Jacob goes out of the room, Esau walks right in. That's the tension that the narrator uses. Jacob puts on his brother's clothes. This is the plan. Jacob puts on his brother's clothes. He puts on the skin of an animal. How hairy is Esau that the skin of an animal feels like him? Right? He's like, Mom, I, Mom's smooth. He's hairy. Here, wear this bear costume. You'll be fine. Like, are you kidding me? That, that's how hairy this guy was. So the, the skin of a young goat is put over him. And, and I, I would imagine, you know, dad's blind, but Jacob's not. He's looking at this giant, you know, gown, clothes he has on, his brother's clothes that are way, probably way too big for him. He's, he has, like, um, goat, goat hair tied to him. He's looking, he's like, there's no way dad's going to fall for this. This is a goat. This isn't, a, like, a goat. He goes in, and he tries to maybe throw his voice. Like, make it deeper. Like, dad, dad, dad. And dad's like, who are you? My son? And then Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. The emphatic word comes at the end. That's what a lot of um, commentators point out. What he's trying to emphasize comes at the end. The emphasis Jacob is making here is the fact that he is the firstborn. I am Esau. Your firstborn. When Esau comes in, he says, I'm your firstborn Esau. The emphatic is at the end. Here it's, I am Esau, your firstborn. That doesn't believe him. He says that he sounds like Jacob. So he asks them, how did you find that game so fast? And Jacob says, well, and this is a blasphemous lie. The Lord your God put a deer in my path when I went out to hunt and I found it, and I grilled it up, and I brought it to you, like completely lied and used God to cover it up. And then dad says, let me fill you. This is the moment that he's looking at his goat skin. He's probably going, this is not going to work. Like as soon as dad feels goat skin, and he had it on the back of his neck, that's how his hairline probably went all the way. I don't know, like he was that hairy, and he goes up, he's like, okay, here, and dad feels his hand, a, a, a goat, you know, goat hair, and he's like, goat hair, and he's like, the, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the skin is the skin of, and you would think you'd be like, a goat, but he goes, Esau, and it worked, and it completely worked. And then he goes, let me eat the food, and he eats the food, which, which is funny, because mom makes this goat that she cooked up, a young goat, tastes like venison. Now, first of all, she's got to be a really good cook to do that. But what this shows, and, and um, what this shows is that Esau wasn't so much in love with his, his food as much as he was in love with Esau. 
Like you, it wasn't that the food was good necessarily. It was that he loved Esau. And so the last test was, come near me and kiss me, my son. And with that, Isaac is betrayed with a kiss. And then when Isaac smells Esau's clothes, he breaks out in blessing. Now, if this was a lesson, if I was teaching right now a lesson in remaining control, this is what I would say. From this story, if, I'm, if I was to teach this lesson, like, guys, I want to teach you how to remain in control of your situation, a control of your life. And I would have to say this, manipulation. You have to keep manipulating everyone. Manipulate God, manipulate friends, manipulate coworkers, manipulate your family. You have to manipulate people to keep showing them that you are everything they want you to be. Keep dressing up. I would also say exploitation. When you see your opportunity, go for it. No matter how you have to lie or who you have to lie to. No matter who you have to step on or step over. Whatever you have to do to get it, get it. And the third lesson I would teach you is independence. Or prayerlessness. Or self-reliance. You have to remain self-reliant. You have to get what you get for yourself. Go after you and for you. Make your career happen. Make your marriage happen. Make your dating life happen. Make your life good now. Do it. Go get it for yourself. I started with this slide. We have this proclivity to shove God to the periphery in an attempt to gain control. We try to control God. That's what we started with. What this sadly shows us is that we don't want God. What this, this slide shows us. When we do this, what we're, what we're saying is we don't really want God. We want the things of God. We don't want God. We want spirituality. We want connectedness to something outside of us. We want morality. We want compassion. We want peace, inner peace, domestic peace. We want blessing and a blessed life, but we don't want God. We want God's stuff and the stuff that we assume he gives us, but not God. Jacob wanted everything that God provided, but didn't want God. There was no reaching out for God, only reaching out for God's blessings. Somebody sent me this quote from Oswald Chambers this last week in his Utmost for, Utmost for His Highest devotional. said, it's much easier to do something than to trust in God. We mistake panic for inspiration. This is exactly where Rebecca was. She, res- she, she mistakes the panic of, oh my gosh, my, my blind husband is going to give the blessing to to Esau when it should go to Jacob and she, she replaces panic for inspiration. You have to do everything that, that, that we just read. Manipulation, exploitation, independence. You have to do these things to remain in control. You have to keep doing them. There, there's no other way for us to remain in control. And let me ask you a question. Why would you give up control? Why would you give up control of your career, your romantic life? Why would you give up control of your kids or give up control of your money? Why would you give up control of your life if there were not someone you trusted that you could give up control to? It would be horrible for you to do that, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a responsible adult. If you were to give up control to someone who you could not trust, it would be It would be a poor exercise of judgment for you. All of us are control freaks by nature. Sure, we try to cloak that with good language like, I'm a perfectionist, which is a really 
honorable way of saying, I'm a control freak. But perfectionist sounds way more perfect, right? I'm a perfectionist. I have, I have really, really high standards. Or I'm a bit type A is what we say a lot. Or I'm just particular. No one wants to say, I'm a flat-out control freak. I have to remain in control at all times. And I even try to control God. But you have to remain in control, don't you? We all do. You have to make sure everything is right. Everything is fixed and everything is going the way you see things playing out. If you do not remain in control, who else is going to do it for you? If you don't, do not remain in control of your career, who else is going to do it? If you do not remain in control of your romantic life, who else is going to do it? If you do not remain in control of your roommates, who else, your, your house, who else is going to do it? And what our text proves is that even religious families... And faith-based people do this all the time. Guys, this happens all the time in this church and churches all, in Christianity all the time. We can cloak it with, with churchy words, but all of us are trying to remain in control. I better make sure that God doesn't make a mistake and give the covenant blessing to my weak, soft-spoken, domestic, younger son. I better give it to Esau. I better make sure that my blind, short-sighted husband doesn't give the blessing to that careless, older son of mine. I better intervene and give it to Jacob. I better make sure I secure that birthright and blessing. God may have promised it to me, but who knows about God's timing? Who knows about God's timing? I better take mine now. We have to remain in control, even even under the, the umbrella of Christianity, religion, faith. I read, and I know how, I know how, strange, I'm going to quote for the very first time, I'm going to quote a tweet. Now, I know how culturally bound that is, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? I read this last week, or this, this last week, and like a billion people retweeted it, and it was all over, like all day long I was reading because people were retweeting it, and here it is. Worry is not believing God will get it right, and bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. Worry is not believing God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. You and I worry because we're like, God is not going to get it right. There's no way he can get this right. I have to, and we start to worry. We get bitter because we're like, and we do this, we do this inside of careers. We do this inside of, uh, of relationships. We're like, God we, when we're going into a relationship, we have to make sure everything is perfect. Why? Well, because God might not get this right. Do you hear what you're saying? Or when we're in it, we're like, I'm, I'm bitter. Why are you bitter? Because God made a mistake. Are you kidding me? We are striving, fighting, deceiving to be in control. And the consequences of this control, there's a ton of them here. But I want to point out one. A total loss of identity. Jacob had to dress up as someone else to get the approval he really wanted. To get the love that he really wanted from his dad. To get the blessing that he wanted really bad. He had to be someone else. The theme that follows Jacob his entire life is this question here. Who are you? That question follows him until finally in several chapters from now... God wrestles him down in the middle of the night and he keeps asking him, who are you, who are you? And he won't respond. 
And finally he goes, I'm Jacob. His name means deceiver. I'm that deceiver. I'm that ankle grabber, that cheater. I'm, I'm him. And God goes, I'm going to give you a new name now. I'm going to change who you are. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place of surrender? And I know that word is so overused, especially in the church, surrender. But how do we do it? The way that Isaac surrendered, at the end of this story, if you guys remember when I just read it, in Genesis 27, 33, it says when he realized, when Isaac realized that he gave away the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau, he trembled violently. Now, he wasn't scared before Esau. He wasn't scared. He, that, that word means he trembled before the Lord. Most commentators agree that this is Isaac's conversion. This is his conversion. This is when he realizes God's will will be done. God will, will work out his will, even despite me, even, even, even when my, my whole life surrounded by everyone lying and cheating and grabbing, God's will will be done. And he says this, who is it that I blessed? And surely he shall be blessed. You know what he's saying? God wins. Not, 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 not Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca, that was a good one. That whole goat thing, wow, really got me. He was, it was, it was about, it was, he was basically just surrendering to God. He's like, God, you win. Jacob was that son. Jacob was the one that the promise was to go to. I get it. He shall be blessed. It's small, but it's something. That conversion was real. I want you to understand this. Your sin even while it may have real and lasting earthly consequences, cannot derail God's gracious, redemptive purpose for your life. I want you to hear, I want that to to sink in deep, deep in your soul right now. Your sin, and I've sat with people who've said, because of this thing I've done is why I'm probably still single, it's why I'm probably not as content as I want to be, as not as this, as not as... Your sin, even while it may have earthly consequences, cannot derail God's gracious, redemptive purpose for your life. This is what Isaac realized. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Jacob's conversion won't come until much later when he wrestles with God. And God has to pin him down and ask him, who are you? And Jacob says, I'm Jacob. And he goes, you shall be Israel. I'm changing your name. Jacob had to come face to face with who he really was in order for God to change him, to give him a new name. This is what I want to ask you to do this morning in our time of response, in our time of now turning to God and go, God, okay, what, what would you have for me in this? What would you have for this community in this? What, God, how would you want to change us? I, I, want you to be, I want you to be real for the next several minutes. If you're that person who just so wants to be in control of everything, would you just tell God, God, I'm so-and-so, the control freak, and I surrender. If you're the liar, if you're the cheater, if you're the person who's dressing up all the time as someone that you're not to get something that you want, can we all just be exposed before God and go, God, 
This, this is who I am. Change me. The only way that, that, real, that change really happens is through, a con, it's through communion as we take it together as a church. It's through confessing to Jesus. He's the one that gives us a new name. This whole story points forward to Jesus. As the story moves forward, you see Christ, this whole story pointing forward to what Christ would do and who he is. Like Jacob, Christ dressed up to give us a blessing. He dressed dressed up in humanity. He took on our flesh, not to steal a blessing, but to give a blessing. Like Rebecca, who said to Jacob, may the curse fall on me, Jesus was the one who took our curse for us. Like Isaac, he was the truly innocent one who was betrayed with a kiss. Like Esau, he was the true firstborn who gave up his right as a firstborn that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. We have to surrender. But let me tell you, I'm going to end with this, and I know that you've probably heard this a million times, this quote, but it's just so fitting and so good here. When you give up control to God, it's scary. I'm just going to be just straight honest with you. It's because you're not in control. You in control, that's not that scary. I mean, it's scary for everyone else in the world, <laughs> but not necessarily for you. You feel good, like, hey, I'm in control. That's why, like, when you're driving, you're like, I, like when my wife drives, I get, like, I panic. I'm looking at, re- I'm look, like, someone's going to hit you. You're going to hit someone. There's, like, you know, that, there's people everywhere. But when I'm driving, I'm like, Psh, all good. But when we give up control to God, it's dangerous. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're about to meet Aslan, who's this Christ figure. You've probably heard this. And they're talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and, and Lucy's just asking, like, what is he like? You know, what's Aslan like? And all this other stuff. And, and he's like, he's a lion. He's like, he's a lion. And then he asks, well, is it, if he's a lion, is he safe? And they respond, safe? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he's not safe. He's Aslan. But he's good. He's the king. And when you surrender your life to God, God's not safe. There's nothing safe. I'm not saying, hey guys, just choose the safe route. Let's all follow God. That's the, dang- that's the dangerous route. The easy route for you is to remain in control. That's easy. Not, not for the rest of the world, but for you, it's easy. The hard part is giving up control and going, God, I trust you. It's not safe, and he's not safe, but he's good. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are that you are good and that you work out your redemptive purposes in our life despite our sin, our shortcomings, our folly, our foolishness, our rebellious heart, our hard hearts, our wickedness, our plans to derail the universe sometimes. I pray that we would just get to this place where Isaac was and say, indeed, he shall be blessed. Indeed, God's will be done. I pray that this church would surrender to the will of God, the plans of God. And they might, that night might not be clear. Your will and your plan might not be clear necessarily. But I pray that we would get to this place where we can just give up control. And so, God, I pray that 
We would be people who have open hands and open hearts. People who come to you in complete surrender and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.